Welcome to the Truth For Your 20s podcast. My name is Katie Bulmer and I am your host. I am especially excited about today's episode because as you've probably heard me say once or twice around here, everything I do started with having coffee dates with my younger self. And today's episode is basically like a coffee date. So recently I had the opportunity to speak to the University of North Florida Alpha Delta Pi chapter. And what we did there is I did a 30-minute condensed version of my keynote and then opened up the rest of the half of our time together for Q&A. So first, what we're going to do is cut to the Q&A time that I did with the University of North Florida, their Alpha Delta Pi chapter. And I also put recently on my Insta story, what is a question you might have for me? Ask me anything. And you guys did, and you came up with some great questions, so I'm going to answer those as well. I also would love to know your feedback on this format. I love doing this. I love being able to just guide and help my younger friends with anything you may be facing. So if this episode resonates with you and is helpful, reach out on Instagram. Just send me a DM saying, hey, I like that episode where you did the Q&A and we will do them more. All right, here we go. Hi, my name is Ava. This is your Truth For Your 20s podcast with your host, Katie Bormer, my mom. Enjoy listening. If you are between the ages of 18 and young 30s and reaching for that best version of yourself, you are in the right place. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I am an author and speaker to over 30 colleges nationwide with the heart behind everything I do to be who I needed when I was younger. On this podcast, I interview experts in their field and 20-somethings alike. We'll talk about finances, physical wellness, dealing with your inner mean girl, and you better believe we're going to talk about guys. Our mission here is to empower your socks off and definitely drop some truth bombs along the way. All right, let's get to it and unpack some truths for your 20s. Well, traveling to colleges is not happening so much this semester, but by golly, I'm having so much fun zooming it up with sororities all over the nation. And I can do this so much more often. I had three Zoom events last week, and I would love to be able to have a Zoom event with your chapter as well. It is not too late to book it for fall, maybe even spring semester if you want. Check out katiebulmer.life for all the details on a virtual Zoom event to bring the sorority girls can change the world message to your college or university. So obviously you just gave us so much great advice, but what is your favorite advice that you've been given? Um, (laughs) So as my audience has grown, um, you're going to get naysayers, right? Like that's just the normal thing. And I have never had that happen before. Like I've always just kind of been talking to people who kind of feel like I feel. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like, oh, okay, Mr. User number 5274, like I, woo, (laughs) did not see that comment coming. But I really think it's kind of been the best thing for me because number one, if you're only speaking to people who agree with you, I think you're doing it wrong. So I think it's good to have a wider audience. But number two, I feel like just showing up, continually showing up and serving your audience is, is all you have to do. Like, And I've had several people reach out to me recently and be like, how do you grow your audience? How do you grow your audience? I'm like, are you ready to grow your audience? Because a year ago, if I would have got a negative comment, I would have like curled into a fetal position and died, you know, but now I'm, I'm just sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I'm speaking what I'm supposed to say that 
people are going to agree with me and people aren't like, okay, I'm not here to have everyone be my biggest fan. I'm here to speak to my people and just show up and serve my audience, serve, serve, serve my audience. And it's going to resonate with some people and it's not with others. And to win everyone is just a ridiculous goal that I never want to try and reach for anyways. So just keep showing up and serving my audience because I think that trying to win everyone is too exhausting of a goal anyway. I'm curious, like what your favorite college memory um, was. Oh, that's a great question. My favorite college memory. I'm going to think for a second. Well, this may be just something that you might think is interesting. I was at the same time. I was in college at the same time of Luke Bryan and Caroline Bryan. And um, yeah, so on the composite, I'm like two away from her. (laughs) And and Luke was like, he played at concerts. He was in a band actually called Naomi Road. It wasn't Luke Bryan at the time. It was called Naomi Road with another Simon Kai who was a drummer. I think he's still with them actually. And I was just like, oh, that's just Caroline's boyfriend. And we like hung out and we would do like hang out before he played with his band. And then like a few years later, I see on Facebook, congratulations, Caroline and Luke. And I'm like, oh, did they get married? Oh, did they have a baby? Oh, he won this country music awards. Like, oh, (laughs) so yeah, that's pretty fun. But you never know who beside you is going to be famous, right? How did you meet your husband? Because I was thinking about like, the question that you asked, like, what am I looking for a guy? And like, am I those things? And then I was like thinking like, like, how can I be those things? And like, I just want to know like your story. Yeah, that's actually a great question. And that's probably part of why I shared this part. Because for me, I kind of had an aha moment when I started dating him. Well, so let me back up. I, I was a typical heartbroken, hungover, dancing on the table, staying in the frat houses, sorority girl. Okay. Like not any of the person that I am today or any people I want you to be. And I, but I would have told you, I want a good Christian boy who's ambitious and loves our family. And like, he wasn't looking for the girl I was, right? I mean, like I was, I was wild. I um, became a believer. There's a big uh, transformation process in my life, my senior year in college. But about two years after that, I had met my husband and we weren't dating at the time, which is a group of friends and us. And this is like a big aha moment for me. But anyway, we're at a grocery store checkout line. And there was like five of us. And Brian is my husband's name. And he grabbed a Cosmopolitan magazine. And you know, Cosmopolitan magazine is like half naked women, sex, 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 every article. And so he reaches for it. And my brain is like, what the heck is he doing? And he reaches for it and flips it around backwards and then comes back to our conversation like nothing had happened. And I was like, what, 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 what did you just do there? And he seriously like was like, oh, it's just a habit I have of protecting my eyes from my wife one day. I want her to be my definition of beauty. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Is that a thing? Like, can, uh, can, you mar- can I marry you right now? Is that available? Like in Walmart? I am here for that. Um, I didn't know that kind of guy existed. I didn't know there was a thing of like, I want you to be my definition of beauty. That's where that like exclusivity is the fuel for romance, not experience, right? And so he had this habit of protecting his eyes. And I was like, what the heck? And so through that, I obviously kind of had a big 180 before I met him. But through that, I remember coming back home to my apartment. My friend Jessica was there. And Jessica was homecoming queen. She's beautiful. She was never without a boyfriend. But I told her this whole magazine story. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry a guy like that. And I was kind of taking aback in that moment because I was like, but Jessica, you're like all the time, you know, that guy is not looking for you. I love you. But like, you do you realize how contradictory that is? Because 
And I felt that way because I was that girl just six months ago. Like I, you know, going home with guys, terrible standards, terrible self-worth. And we say like, oh, I want this. But to be this person, it's like a switching, you know, putting the mirror on ourselves. So that, that was definitely partly why I'm pretty passionate about that message because I see this incredible guy who had high standards and I wasn't that girl even like six months before I met him. And then I was like, oh, this, this is, this is what I'm looking for. And to be this, I need to, you know, check myself and reach for that best version of myself. Um, can you share your coming to Christ story? I know you said you started believing like senior year of college. Yeah, sure. So I had the breakup that broke me. Anyone ever had one of those? <laughs> My senior year in college, I was like, we had our forever planned. We're going to have 2.5 kids and live in a white picket fence and dance on matching unicorns. Like, I mean, I had the whole thing planned out and he was my forever. And out of nowhere, we weren't fighting or anything. Like on a Monday night, 11 PM, he's like, Hey, I need to talk. And he broke up with me out of nowhere. And I was like, no, this is not the way. No, this is, I have my plan. You are the like blueprint for my plan. This is not the way this is supposed to happen. And it was like just a low. And I felt like it was, it was truly God because he was my everything. He was my idol. He was my God, you know, and like without him, I didn't know how to function. And so that was like taking away from me. I feel like, because first of all, when I first started dating him, I truly lowered my standards. And this is another reason I'm so passionate about my friends raising their standards because I, I had told myself, well, if I date a guy that's not quite as cute as I want him to be or quite as whatever, then he'll never cheat on me. Um, he'll, he'll worship the ground I work on. We'll live happily ever after but God didn't want me to lower my standards. He's like, no, I, I'm, I'm not asking you to settle. I'm asking you to raise the bar. You're settling. You're wrapped up in this not good for you guy. I want better for you. And I, and I think that's so important too. Like when I look at my kids, I want like, this is an example, but like say they want ice cream for dinner. No, that's not what's good for you. And they might throw a fit about it, but I know what's best for them. So that relationship was taken from me. And even though it crushed me, I thought I was going to die. Um, I had a friend invite me to a Greek girls Bible study and the Katie just a few months ago would have been like, I'm too cool to go to Bible study, whatever. But in that broken moment, I was like, I don't really have anything else going on. And true story. I showed up first in the wrong place on the wrong day, <laughs> could find the bars in town blindfolded, but by golly, if I could not find the church, <laughs> end up coming at the right place at the right day and heard the woman at the well story, which is recorded in John chapter four. And the woman at the well was like, ah, ha ha moment for me because essentially um, this girl is a heartbroken girl. She'd been divorced five times, married five times living with a guy she wasn't married to. I like to imagine she was doing the ancient walk of shame in her boyfriend's toga. <laughs> showed up at the well, brokenhearted five times, and the longest recorded conversation with Jesus in scripture is with this girl at the well. Her name isn't even recorded, but it's the longest recorded conversation with, with Jesus in scripture. And he essentially tells her, you keep looking for love in the arms of a guy. You keep looking and you keep being disappointed. You're not going to find it there. I came to give you eternal water so you will never thirst again. And to me, that idea of eternal water, I was like, what? Like, you mean there's a way to stop this rat race of trying to be prettier, trying to be popular, trying to find a guy who loves me 
eternal water. So I'll never thirst again. And it was like an ice cold lemonade over my soul. And my very first prayer was God, I don't know what eternal water is, but if it exists, I want a keg of it. I'm very, very fancy and spiritual like that. (laughs) How like God just totally transformed me and starting meeting people who loved the Lord and kept me accountable and started going to church. I didn't even know where churches were in my town and um, slowly but surely became who I am today. And I don't usually get to share that part to colleges because I speak to a lot of public schools, but because you asked, I certainly can. And, I'm, and that's obviously one of my favorite parts. So thank you for asking. Okay. I have another question. Sometimes I feel like I can be almost on the opposite side of the spectrum, like relationships are hard and stuff. So like, do you have a suggestion on how to just like navigate that? that what if I never get married question? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, first of all, how old are you? I'm 19. <laughs> I was about to guess 19. So to me, I look at the 19 year old who says, what if I never get married? And I'm like, you actually still need to be rocked to sleep at night. You are an infant. Like you, I need to burp you after you eat, eat, like (laughs) you are a child. So I would not rush it. That is so interesting because I know your peers, a lot of them are dating. So maybe even some of them are getting engaged. And so it feels like everyone is getting married. Um, I had this conversation with a friend the other day, a college student friend. She's like, everyone I know is getting married. I'm like, well, who is everyone? She's like, well, like three people. Okay. Okay. That's three people. It's not everyone. So to that, I mean, I would say, first of all, not everyone is getting married. Second of all, I'm 41. I turned 41. Of the people that I went to school with, like you, I did a, I did a very fancy Facebook survey on this. <laughs> I looked at all my friends that I had when I was in college. Two, two did never, never got married that wanted to, as in more, one more than one, just two. <laughs> so the numbers on that, the, the chance of you not getting married and wanting to is a 0.004% chance of not getting married. Okay. So the odds are in your favor that you're going to get married. However, I lost count when it comes to my friends that are divorced and have custody battles and on second and third marriages. So I would say it is much more important to know what you're looking for, become who you're looking for, have a dating plan, have standards, and then marry the right person. And now there's also some confusion that how do you know when he's the one? I think you need to make it your best decision. Obviously have a plan, have standards, but who you marry is your one, you know, people change. Like my husband and I, we married 16 years and we're not the same people we were, but we also like rediscovering each other. Like we're learning who we are as parents, as people who live in Chattanooga now, as people who used to not work out, who people work out all the time, like you change. And so that the whole, the one, I think, I think that's a myth. So becoming who you're looking for is looking for deciding who that person is and then continually falling in love over and over, always with the same person. Don't rush it either. There's no, there's no timeline. People are like, oh, if I don't get married by 30, I'm going to die. No, actually you're not. You're going to be just fine. There's no, there's no race. There is no like prizes for early marriages. Like everyone's on a different schedule and there's no right or wrong. My question would definitely be like, how do you break the cycle of always choosing like the wrong person? Because I personally in my life, I've always chosen like the wrong guys who end up being abusive. And even like my mom and my sister, I've never seen a healthy relationship. It's always been abusive and toxic. Okay. A few things I would say, you can't be what you can't see. 
So if you don't have any examples of a healthy relationship, get some in your life. Now that might mean just an online couple that you look up to. I don't know if you follow Jordan Lee Dooley and her husband, they're adorable and they share a lot of good stuff about how they date in a healthy way. There, I'm sure there's books out there, like maybe podcasts that you listen to. The truth for your twenties is real good. Um, but an online couple, or perhaps like if I would suggest if you can maybe get involved in a local church. And so we have college students over at our house all the time. And I don't think anyone would be offended if you're like, Hey, you know, I'm in school here. I'm two hours from home. Would it be cool if I like, I don't know how you raise this. If something like come to your house for dinner, like most grownups love to have college students in their home. And so just being able to do life with a family that you look up to, now no one's going to have it perfect, obviously, but you can't be what you can't see. So have a, have a example of what that looks like. And then um, getting back to, I would say making a dating plan, like maybe at least three non-negotiables. Does he talk all the time about how all of his exes are crazy? Perhaps that's a red flag because he's the common denominator if all his exes are crazy. Um, If faith is important to you and he says he's a believer, but there's no evidence in his life, that's a red flag. So maybe have some early red flags and don't jump into anything because a lot of times you can't see those red flags until several weeks, maybe even months into a relationship. And people like to jump into serious stuff very quickly. And that just makes it a million times harder to back up once you might see some red flags. Now, not to say that like the one red flag is like, oh my gosh, you're terrible. But if you have that pattern, then perhaps you need to put some parameters around this is a non-negotiable. And you're a beautiful $100 million power of influence girl. And so like, I think that we also say, no, 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 no. Oh, my dating pool is going to be a lot smaller. Yes, your dating pool will be smaller if the sloppy drunk guy can no longer take you home. If the guy that cusses at his mama and abusive is no longer an option for you. Congratulations, you want your dating pool to be smaller, right? Ultimately, you only need one. You only need one good catch. You don't need 500. So it's a good thing if your dating pool is smaller. Between like, obviously like your podcast, like writing a book and like having family and all of that. How do you, like, you're obviously very busy. How do you kind of balance everything in your life and like not become so stressed, I guess? Yeah. I mean, uh, the book is done. So I don't really have to do a lot of stuff to promote that right now. Like I have, you have different days for different projects and stuff that, I do a lot with the podcast stuff. I do a lot of online marketing, um, social media, that kind of stuff. I also partner with that company, Elevari. But I mean, I work from home. I also have a marketing business, the t-shirt stuff. I still do a lot of that. But I mean, it's all pretty flexible. Like I don't have a, like, I have to get this done by two o'clock. I just, I get my work done and I all, I get it all done before 3 p.m. Ideally when my kids get home from school. And then sometimes I'll go back and do a little bit from like six to seven or something after dinner or seven to eight. But I mean, it's just priorities, right? Like uh, one big thing I learned from an influencer is to do your big three every day. So write down the next, the day before, like these are three big things I want to accomplish. And of course you're going to get more done, but like getting those big three done, it makes you feel like you've got some progress and you know that those three things are urgent and that will move the needle forward. Um, Another thing is thinking about quote needle movers. Like there are 90 things that can be done in any given day, but what's going to quote, like move the needle, what's going to get me in the direction I want to go the fastest. And those will be the most urgent tasks versus the other things that are buying for your attention. 
Did you ever feel like you didn't have like enough time in college, like between trying to um, like better yourself and then like trying to talk to guys, but then also trying to study on your schoolwork and you're trying to volunteer. And like, I feel like that's where I'm at. And like, I just feel like I don't have enough time. Um, I remember my junior year, I was the um, VP of finance. I had a part-time job. I was taking like 18 hours. Who's VP of finance? I am. I'm VP of Finance. That's so funny. Oh, you are, Hannah? Yeah, it's a hard job. It is such a hard job. I had no idea. I was like, can I like not do this anymore? <laughs> so hard. But I actually did my best grades ever that semester. And just, you know, boom, 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 boom. Like I went to work. I went to, I was living in the sorority house at that time. Um, I would get mad because my roommate was always sitting on the couch watching TV. Every time I got home, I'm like, must be nice. She can enjoy herself. I was just being a snob. Um, <laughs> But I guess, you know, you can't do that forever. That was like a, a short-term thing. But if you can like do pedal the metal for a short amount of time and, you know, just pump out your best work and then tell yourself like, oh, well, next year I'm taking less hours. Or next year I'm not going to be VP finance or whatever. You know, just give yourself like that, that a lot of time to like boom everything out and then there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. So I have a question. Yeah. Poplin of our sorority. And so I was just like wondering if you have tips on like how to be like super inclusive and like. I don't know, just like still include everyone, but also share like the message. You said you're a chaplain? Yes. So if you're a chaplain, you're obviously sharing um, your faith. I would share your faith. I would share what AD Pi is founded on. And are you using a, a book study or anything or what, how are you doing it? Right now, um, we have just like a thing in the beginning where I just like talk during chapter. But other sometimes we'll do like sunrise devos. Sunrise Devos, I'm so impressed. I would just keep showing up being who you are and speaking your truth. I mean, I think the biggest thing is we like to tell ourselves, oh, I have to have all of scripture memorized. I have to understand what happened to the dinosaurs and if and if creation was a literal seven days. No, you don't. You have to know your story, what happened in your life, and tell your truth. Like that's all you have to know. I was blind, but now I see. Like that's all the story that you're accountable to tell and can keep showing up for that and always learning, always growing for sure. But having all the answers is um, no one's equipped for that. The secret is out. I am partnering with Elevari Jewelry to help bring young women a tangible piece to help remind you that you belong to a larger sisterhood. There is a war out there after your heart, and I believe that we can come together as women and realize that we can stand strong, united as women of faith and have a tangible piece of jewelry to remind us that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. I'm also really excited to announce with Elevari Jewelry, we are doing philanthropy give back fundraisers. Giving back to your philanthropy should not be canceled because of this crazy semester, and we're making it super easy for you. All you have to do is pick a promo code and a date range that you want to run your special, and 15% of all the proceeds will go back to your sorority's philanthropy. Check out all the details either at my website, katiebulmer.life or elevarijewelry.com. Looking cute, making a difference for your philanthropy, changing the world, and strengthening sisterhood. You guys, I am here for it. All right, guys, here is the second part of the podcast where I'm just going to answer questions that you guys asked on the Instagram world. So here is another Q&A. This is not live. I'm not in front of people like I was on the other part. 
All right. And these questions came from all over girls who are in college, girls who are a little bit older, a little younger. So we're just going to dive on in. Okay. So the first question is, was there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized you wanted or could make a difference for young people? Yeah. So if you have heard any of my stuff, I I had a total breakdown in our walk-in closet. And essentially, I have never been more sure that I heard the voice of God. And he said, I design you to share your story with sorority women. Like that is what I have designed you to do. Like you are getting distracted by everything else. Go do that. And so that was like, it was my for sure. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do time. But a million (laughs) questions with that. Well, hi, well, where do I start? How, when, where, who? And I mean, I feel like I'm constantly still learning that, right? Like, okay, do I do online mentoring? Do you know how about the podcast? What about speaking to schools? And like, those are all great avenues and, and they're all working together, obviously, right? But, you know, doing this thing well and speaking to the girl I want to speak to, um, actually speaking of that, my husband and I were just having a conversation the other day and I had this kind of an aha moment and he was like, write that down. But essentially, you know, I feel like I've often, you know, wondered, well, okay, I'm, I'm speaking to this girl and that girl. And, and essentially I was like, I am speaking to the girl I was in college. So for example, like I love the girl who grew up in church and I hope that our children are that girl, but I when I was in college, I was so far from the church. I The only thing I knew about Jesus was something about a cross and there was something about Noah and an ark. Like I, I knew nothing. I remember one time I was in a Sunday school class, like before I became a Christian and she said, turn your Bible to Nehemiah. And I like, I snickered because I thought it was a joke. I thought she had made up that name. Like, oh shoot, apparently Nehemiah actually is in the Bible. So I just, I love that girl who who feels so far and feels so unworthy, yet she is, and she doesn't know it. And she's looking for love in all the wrong fraternity boys. And all that to say, I wrote it down in my phone. I'm like, my target girl is a girl that I was. And I actually wrote a name. It was a girl who I mentored a few years ago because she was that girl that I was. And I saw incredible growth in her as I got to know and mentor and um, just see her grow into the young woman that she is today. And so having that name and aiming for that kind of person, it's a game changer. Okay, the next question is, how do you balance working for profit and working for passion? Okay, I really like this question because I honestly feel like I am right in the middle of it. For the longest time, I gave everything away for free. people would ask me to speak and I'd be like, uh, yeah, I'll speak for gas money and a coffee mug. Like I was doing so little to actually make money, but it was fine because I had my promotional items, you know, side job where I'm selling t-shirts and had some pins and all that kind of stuff. And since COVID, since that business is so reliant on events, it is taking a total like nosedive. And I'm like, I got to get serious about making my passion job not only make money, but make it sustainable. Because for the longest time, truly, it's just kind of been a hobby. And, you know, we also kind of get this twisted in our brain as women, like we feel bad for asking for money. But truly, if you want to see an impact, if you want to see growth, if you want, if you believe in the creators that you like, 
we have to fund them, right? Like they have to make it sustainable for their family. And realistically, like I'm doing two jobs, like the marketing job and then what you see here in the sorority. I never talk about my other job on social media because I'm so passionate about this, but to be able to do this 100% and put everything to it, I have to make it sustainable, right? So I've been shifting more into offering online mentoring more. I really have my site set on a digital course. And kind of as a side note here, not just for me, but every creator that you follow on the online space, there's so much more that happens behind the scenes than you realize. Like they are putting their heart and their soul and hours. I mean, even for this podcast here, I mean, it takes at least, I would say like three hours, if not more to produce it, getting out there. I mean, we have to pay for hosting services. I don't pay to edit right now. I would love to be able to outsource that, but I can't afford it right now. So being able to pay to edit so I can have more time to do other stuff, like there's just so much that goes on behind the scenes. So getting frustrated when they have an ad or something is, it's just kind of not fair because we have to realize all that goes in and um, and just supporting what they put out there and sharing, you know, the stuff that they do. It, It goes so it goes such a long way when we know that we have that you guys support because we're creating because we love it and we're creating because it's our passion, but to make it sustainable, to, to be able to give a hundred percent, it also has to make money, right? So I am learning. I listen to a lot of the gold digger podcast. She is amazing. If you are a female entrepreneur, I'm learning so much through that. And I also have a friend slash business coach shout out to Christina, Wright. She is amazing and giving me so much incredible advice. Okay, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? So I have two very opposite answers to this. And one is we live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we've lived here about three years. And I I feel like a kid in a candy store. Like I truly love Love the city so much. And I wasn't used to mountain views and beautiful rivers everywhere and lakes and waterfalls. And I find myself getting teary, like on the regular, just driving my kids to school the other day. There's this road. And if you look off to your left, you can see for forever. There's this huge field with cows grazing and the sun is rising at that point. And so the dew is evaporating and you can see mountains in the distance. And I mean, It's just the most beautiful place in the world. And I am just so fortunate that I get to live here. And the complete opposite answer to that is New York City. I have had a crush on that city since I was in college. My dad took me there when I was in college just to show me all the sights. He traveled a lot for work at that time. And I just love New York. I just think it's an incredible city. It is every, you know, type of human. It is every race, religion, creed, value, every type of human, every type of food, every type of culture and store. And it's just beautiful and and magical. And if money was not a factor and if COVID didn't exist, I would go like two or three times a year. I just love that city so much. Okay. The next question is how did you get started with yoga? Well, my answer is actually good for anyone getting started with anything really, because I showed up to my first yoga class And I thought the instructor should be charged with attempted murder. (laughs) It was so hard. I was sore for days. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I thought yoga was easy, right? I I will say it was a power yoga class, which is what I um, am certified in now. I love power yoga. But really, any class, I I was not flexible. I had no idea what I signed up for. But I just kept showing up. And I feel like that's where the magic happens. Because... It hurt. 
I hated it at first, but I just kept showing up and kept showing up. And about three years later, the instructor was actually moving and the gym owner approached me and my friend at the time. And we were actually on very similar yoga journeys. Her and I both started doing yoga at the same time, had no idea what we were doing and kept showing up, kept showing up. I mean, we're like three classes a week at least. And then practicing on our own, we got better naturally, right? And so the gym owner approached both of us and said, you know, the instructor is leaving. I need a new yoga instructor. Would you guys consider getting certified? And I was like, me? What? And it's just a great example in, you know, stick-to-itiveness is what wins the race. One of my favorite quotes is, a river doesn't cut through rock because of its strength, but because of its persistence. So that continually showing up to practice day after day. And, you know, it's kind of cool in yoga, they call it yoga practice, not yoga perfect. So showing up, falling on my face a few times, getting some poses wrong, but learning and learning my alignment and getting stronger and eventually being able to instruct others to do the same. Like that's the magic of everything we're doing, right? I mean, just recently I I had to learn how to do MailChimp, which is how I do all my emails. And it was so frustrating. I hated every moment of it. And I was like, how much do I have to pay to have someone figure this crap out for me? I hated it. But now I get MailChimp. I get everything about it, the ins and outs of it. And now I'm helping one of my friends figure out how to do MailChimp for her new business. So, you know, it's just like with anything with life, keep showing up, you learn, you get better, and then you can teach others. Okay, next question says, I have been single for 20 years. I want a godly marriage and to train my children in the ways of the Lord, but how do I prepare for that? Okay, I thought about this one because this is a a pretty big question. So I'm gonna try and unpack it in a metaphor. All right, so imagine you're on this trail and you want to get to the top of the mountain. Like that is the end goal, right? And all you can see is the top of the mountain and you're like, oh, I just have to, go through these trails and get through the mountains. And if only I can get to the top of the mountain, everything will be okay. That is often how we think about our single time. Like I just want to get married. I want to find my happily ever after and I want to get married. But when we focus only on the top of the mountain, then we don't we don't see the path. We don't get to notice the beautiful trails along the way. Like what if you pass a beautiful fruit tree and what if like there's a really cool caterpillar? I'm, this is all a metaphor, obviously, but rushing through your single time is, is really sad because it's a really beautiful time that often young people just try and run through, try and run past it and not notice the journey. So I would first say, notice the journey and enjoy your single time and prepare for climbing that mountain by becoming the best version of yourself by getting stronger. You know, there's several areas of wellness, but, you know, get mentally well, whatever that might look like for you. Maybe seeing a counselor. I think we all need some time on a counselor's couch. Getting physically fit, becoming physically healthy and fit, um, taking care of the what you feed your body is super important. Perhaps financial fitness is something that you want to work on, you know, going into less financial debt into a future marriage as you go up that mountain, so to speak, is such a huge gift for your future marriage. So there's all these areas and all these ways you can work on becoming stronger in every sense of the word, becoming that best version of yourself 
when you get to the top of that mountain, you have so much, you're fit, you're, you're prepared for the journey, like you, you are good to go. And let me also say that a lot of times movies like to end there, right? Like that this is the end of the journey. You made it to quote the top of the mountain and and the couple says, I do. And then the movie ends and we all leave with the warm fuzzies. But actually, that's also just the beginning of the next trail, the next adventure that you have in your life. So I also don't want to encourage my young friends to be like, the top of the mountain is the end. I find my happily ever after and boom, because that's really just the beginning, like I said, of another journey. So you get to the top of that mountain, you find your boo thing, and then you go on another adventure and it is beautiful. And there's going to be, you know, thickets and thorns, and there's going to be waterfalls and magical sunsets, and there's going to be good and bad with every journey, but just enjoying the ride, like stop rushing through life is what I'm trying to say and enjoying the ride. I promise you will thank me later. Okay. Next question says, after listening to a recent podcast with Angela talking about how her parents were divorced and had trouble trusting men, I also relate to that. How do I trust the right guys? Yeah, I really like this question. You know, a lot of times when it comes to women's empowerment, we get this idea like, all guys are dirtbags and like women are awesome. And, and I hope that you don't get that from my message because I like dudes. I think that guys are awesome too. I think that girls are amazing. And I talk to women predominantly about raising the bar. And I a hundred percent stand by that, that women can and should raise the bar when it comes to dating. And studies actually show that men want to raise up and they want to chase our heart We just need to make it not so easy for them because they want to romance us and chase our heart. But to answer that question, I would say just tell yourself what is true. For example, if you find yourself in a relationship with a good guy and, you know, those negative thoughts in your brain are like, oh, you know, guys are cheaters or guys, guys are bad and like he's going to cheat on me or whatever. Tell yourself what is true. Has he given you any evidence to believe that he is a cheater or to believe that he is a liar? And if he hasn't given you any of that evidence, then there's certainly no reason to believe that. So I actually just shared this on Instagram, but my junior year, I was in a toxic relationship and I was (laughs) writing down, this is so pitiful, you guys, but I literally wrote down any strand of evidence I could find that this guy liked me, um, that he liked me and only me. It was a toxic relationship and, and the evidence was so far and few between. I wrote it down so I could find it, but in a healthy relationship, I hope that you have a much more full notebook, but you can perhaps use that same skill to write down what is true. You know, write down that he bought you flowers. He called you back that night. He, you know, he showed up when he said he was going to show up. Like not all men are liars. There's a lot of incredible guys out there. And I know it's, it's hard out there, especially when you don't have great examples of godly marriages, when you have been burnt before, or your trust has been broken, like that's hard, but just telling yourself what is true in this relationship, not, not the last boyfriend, not, you know, what you saw on TV, what is true in this relationship. And that can hopefully change that narrative and help you be present with this guy. Okay, the last question is, what is the most important thing you learned from sisterhood? Yeah, I mean, for me, sorority was the first example of belonging to something bigger than myself. You know, I I didn't really go to church growing up. I wasn't involved in sports. 
And now all of a sudden I wore letters on my t-shirt that meant something. And it meant something not just to me, but to generations before me and to people I have never met in different states. We all shared the same creed and the same values. And it, it was it meant something. It meant something to me and it meant something to all these other women. And it I took that seriously. I took it seriously to uphold the standards of what it meant for my founding sisters, for the president at the time, for the membership education vice president, for all of the executive board, like I looked up to them and I didn't want to let them down by being a shady sorority girl. And I don't think I realized at the time how important that was. But now that I do, and I have the opportunity to speak to younger sorority women, that's what I say all the time. Like, what did your founding sisters dream of? Was it just cute t-shirts and theme parties? Or do they dream of this higher standard of womanhood, women of excellence? You know, and how do we get back to those founding roots? And what does it mean? What does it mean to be a sorority girl? Because our media hasn't done a great job of portraying that, right? But you, as a sorority woman in 2020, you get to define what that looks like. And that is an incredible opportunity, a privilege, and a responsibility. So I'm just thankful to be able to speak life and truth to these girls to be like, you get to define it. What does it look like? Let's see, because I think it can be awesome. Let's make it awesome. All right, that is it for our Q&A. I loved doing this and I would love to hear from you. If you like podcasts in this format, let me know. And the best way you can let me know is sliding into my DM by sharing this on social media, sharing that you love this episode. And the biggest compliment you can also give is leaving your reviews on iTunes. I love showing up, giving you the best available truths for your 20s. And to do that to the best of my ability, I would love to hear feedback from you. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for sharing. This podcast is growing and that is because of you. And I cannot thank you enough.